0: Amen. Hey, go ahead and take a seat. Hello, Coastway Church, whether you are joining us in the room or you are watching online. Welcome. We're so glad you're here. My name is Jeremy. I'm one of the pastors here, but enough about me. Let's talk about you. There's really three types of people who are in this place who actually show up to a new church or to a church at all. And first of all, there's people who are curious. You are curious about Coastway, you're curious about the church, you're curious about Jesus, faith, regardless of the form of your curiosity, we would desire to connect you to the relationships of our church. It's really the best part of the church are the the relationships, people who can hold you up whenever you're having a hard time or cheer you on whenever something goes great. And so our hope is that if you are new to Coastway and you're curious about Coastway, that you would leave here with some kind of relationship with someone who is already a part of our team. And then there are those of you who are connected to Coastway. And so this is you just so that you can know which of these three groups you're a part of. Number one, you have been to one of our interest gatherings before, or maybe you were here last week for week one of this Bible study that we're walking through, which we will jump into in just a moment, or maybe you have been to a community group, one of the settings where we relate like family, we reflect on the scriptures, and we seek to bring renewal together. It's an incredible environment where we really get to enjoy uh, the benefit of relationships. Uh, But here's what we would hope. Uh, Being connected to Coastway is a great place to visit, it's a bad place to stay. So what I would encourage you is to move from uh, the relationships of uh, Coastway to actually consider uh, this next group of people, which would be those of you who are commissioned with Coastway. So these are the men, women, and children who don't just have their relationships, Uh, but also have this sense of responsibility around what we are about as a church. And that is to multiply the hope and the help that is only found in Jesus Christ. His life, his love, his labor. That's what we're about at Coastway Church. And so maybe you've been connected to Coastway, you've been to a Bible study, you've been to an interest gathering, you've been to a community group. Hey, it's a great place to visit. It's a bad place to stay. We would love to move you into a place where you not only are connected with the uh, responsibility of Coastway, but also the resourcing of Coastway. Here's what we're praying. We, we pray big prayers as a church, uh, even at a very uh, young uh, point in the life of our church, as we're still forming and we're still figuring a lot of things out. By the way, thank thank you for your patience as we do figure out and try to pursue progress each week. But what we would hope is that over uh, between now and September 19th, which is a very exciting day in the life of our church, I'll tell you in just a moment, we are praying that 10 more men and women are going to catch the vision and say, I have a shared heart as what this church is about and be commissioned with us. And what does it look like? It looks like time, talent, and treasure being leveraged to advance the gospel and partner with us at Coastway. And so what we would hope is that if that's you, if you have been around us long enough and you're just like, hey, I wanna be commissioned with Coastway, I wanna move beyond the relationships toward responsibility, that we could have that conversation, uh, maybe even tonight, which would be incredible. And so here's what we did this past Wednesday night was our interest gathering, and I am thrilled and thankful to catch all of you up if you were not there. That we are going to be opening up Coastway Church on Sunday, September 19th at 11 a.m. on the campus of Coastal Carolina University in the Wall School of Business. Come on, clap for that. I'm excited. I know you are too. And we've been praying for such a long time for God to make it clear exactly where it is that he wants us. Here's why we are excited about the space that God has provided. Because we get to be First of all, this is a very sought-after space. Not just anybody gets access to this. This was the faithfulness of God going before us and building bridges and relationships into a a university that we love and that we're getting to know. Uh, But also, uh, this is going to put us... And basically on the frontier of being both a generationally and racially diverse church, which is at our very heart. If you want to see a healthy church, look at racial diversity, look at generational diversity. And we're talking about these things very early because it's so important to our church. But it's also been said, if you want to be where the greatest needs are, go to a coast. OK, check. All right. Go to a campus. Okay, check. Go to a city. Check. We just figured we would do all three and be right where the needs are. And so we are thrilled and we are excited about the door that God has opened up. And here's what I want to ask all three groups, whether you're curious, whether you're connected, whether you're commissioned with Coastway is do your best to be here every single week. Do your, do your best to be able to take advantage, and if you if you weren't here last week, you're here this week, welcome. Would encourage you to make plans. Go ahead and uh, figure out a way where you can be in town and where you can participate in this verse by verse study that we are in. Uh, we're gonna be in this for t- uh, two more weeks. Uh, what is today, August 22nd? Yeah, then August 29th, September 5th. So for two more weeks, we are going to be going through a verse by verse study on Philemon. Everybody say Philemon. Okay, so the Bible is intimidating, right? There's a lot of stuff in there that's like, I've got questions, I need some clarity. So let's just do this, let's just do this together. Whether on your app or in your lap, open your Bibles. Let's do this, one of our core values is we open our Bibles and our lives. So let's go ahead and let's do that and let's find Philemon together. So let's, Philemon is in the New Testament. Okay, so there are 39 books in the Old Testament, which makes up the largest portion of the Bible. And then there are 27 books in the New Testament. So the New Testament starts with, anybody? Come on, help me out. This is Bible study. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians Great, Galatians, Corinthians. Philippians, Philippians Yep, yeah, that's important. Colossians. First and second Timothy. There's oh I'm sorry, I, I messed you up. That was my fault. Please pardon me. Okay, what were you saying? First and second Thessalonians. First and second Timothy, yeah, Titus is in there somewhere. And then where are we? Philemon. What comes after Philemon? There's extra credit. Hebrews, there you go We don't know who wrote Hebrews And if everybody ever tells you they do, they don't So let's just just be honest So we're between Titus and Hebrews And uh, here, let's talk about Paul Have you heard about this guy named Paul, by the way? If you haven't, I don't, you know Whether it was in high school, whether you're in college Whether you're aged and elderly You need to know about Paul Because Paul, you know, without fear of contradiction One of the top five most influential men Who's ever walked planet Earth Okay, so you need to know about Paul What would Paul do? So Paul, in the first century, he would go to a new city, and he would plant a church. And as he planted a church, after he would plant a church, he would get uh, men and women uh, together who believed the core message of the gospel, would come around, he would plant a church, he would pastor that church, like two, three, sometimes three years. And then after he pa- pastored the church, he had developed leaders, okay, so off to a great start, he would pass on the church. He would say, now you go and you lead this church. But here's what's interesting. After he passed it on, he would continue to encourage them from a distance and address the problems that they would face. And if you know anything about the church, is we are a perfectly imperfect people. And we are certainly, we don't have this thing figured out. We're not perfect people. We are forgiven people. And that's what the church is about. But Paul is, is dealing with one of the problems that's happening in the church at Colossae. So that's one of the books that we just mentioned. And one of those problems is you've got this wealthy businessman named Philemon who met Paul and, after meeting Paul, was converted to Christianity and began to believe the core message of the gospel and wanted to pass it on to other people. And so he leads a home that believes the gospel. And in his home, there was a slave by the name of, does anybody know? Onesimus. And so Onesimus done Philemon dirty. He stole something from him, he wronged him, and then he fled as a fugitive uh, far away from Colossae. But then Onesimus meets Paul. Talk about providence. And through this turn of events, he ends up transferring the trust of, of his hope and his help in life away from himself and onto Christ. And so Paul goes to Onesimus and says, hey, Onesimus, listen, Something's got to give. You got to make this right. And so Onesimus comes back, and he is basically the one who's actually carrying this letter. I mean, it, uh, I mean, talk about this is kind of awkward right here. He's bring, he's one of the ones who brings the letter back to Paul, and so uh, or back to Philemon. And so the plot is 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 heavy. It's intense. But there's so much to be said about Philemon. You could read it in a minute and 30 seconds. There's, I think, 25 verses in the book of Philemon. It's like a stick of dynamite. A lot of power in a small package. And the frame that we put around Philemon is last week we talked about friendship. And this week what we're doing is we're talking about, we're in verses 4 through 7, we're talking about faith. So what Paul is doing is he is affirming Philemon's faith. Now, there are probably a hundred different ideas that may come to your mind or populate just on your your mental dashboard when you hear the word faith. Uh, Some may think of it as something that's credible, that helps you, gives you strength throughout the day. Others may think that it's kind of silly and hard to take serious. But here's some clarity. Here's why faith is important. Faith is important because fear is imminent. What is it that drives fear? Well, first of all, let's think about some of the things that we're afraid of. Some of the things that we're afraid of are silly, some of the things that we're afraid of are serious. So maybe you're afraid, afraid of snakes, maybe you're afraid of clowns, maybe you're afraid of spiders, maybe you're afraid of bad haircuts, maybe you're afraid of Taco Bell after 9 p.m. Some of these would be legitimate fears, but regardless of what it is that you're afraid of, what is it that's driving fear? And here it is, it's, it's two things. It is, it is, God does not care about me. And God is not in control. And here's, here's when this happens. This happens when I'm going through a hard time. Usually it's a trial that I'm facing. It could be sickness, it could be sorrow, it could be some form of brokenness that I'm experiencing. Or I'm facing a temptation and I just can't get over this particular vice. It keeps pinning me to the mat. Or I'm going through a transition. Maybe I'm transitioning into college. Maybe I'm transitioning into retirement. Maybe I'm transitioning from another city or another state. And what happens is we start to believe this lie that God doesn't care or that God doesn't control. So let's do this. Let's let's ask this question: What is faith? There's a hundred different ways that really you could faithfully define it, but here's the definition that I wanna put in front of us this evening, and here it is. Faith is active confidence that God cares and that he is in control. So I think a definition is helpful, but I think, I, I like the visuals. I like to be able to think like, what is faith actually like? And so my father, he grew up in the flatlands of Arkansas, and I don't know if you know someone who's maybe from like the plains of Texas or in Oklahoma or a place that's really flat that sees like tornadoes or sees natural disasters that will sweep through and completely wreck towns. But in Arkansas, where my dad grew up, there was basically what's called a storm cellar, and a storm cellar was a place where the family would go to take refuge in a time when the foundations were shaking. And you had no sense of control, your life was in danger, and you had nothing, no other option but to depend on the refuge of a storm cellar. And it was a place that you would go, you know, it it wasn't anything luxurious, it wasn't anything fancy, but it was a place where you could actually go and have refuge during the storm. And I want to encourage you to think about faith like a storm cellar. Because what's going to happen is you're going to have those moments when you say, God, you don't care about me. God, you're not in control of the outcome of my life. So, what you're going to need is you're going to need these storm cellar convictions. That whenever you're getting taken to the mat with the trials, the temptations, and the transitions of life, is you could have, you could have a storm cellar that you go to. And here it is it's that God cares and that God is in control. Here's, here's what happens. When we have active confidence that God cares and that he is in control, fears begin to fade. They don't go away entirely, but they don't seem as legitimate. Because when I look back on the faithfulness of God and I think about how he's been present for me in those times when the storms and the winds and the waves would come in and crash down. And I look back and I see how faithful he's been. That's gonna, that's gonna bring confidence into my heart in that moment when the, the foundation is just shaking. But also whenever confidence in God is inactive, we, we think, hey, he doesn't care about me, he, he's not in control, then fear can actually be fatal. We, we don't go down into the storm cellar of God's care and control, but we stay out there and we try to weather the elements on our own, and what happens is we just get capsized. We look like a home that's been swept through by a natural disaster. And here's something just so that we can all be human around this whole idea of faith. Faith is not the absence of danger. There are a lot of dangers that we experience. Jesus encountered danger. Paul encountered danger. You encountered danger. Faith is not the absence of danger. Faith is the presence of dependence. It is me transferring trust from the weight of my power, of my knowledge, of my own abilities, onto the, the uh, power and the abilities of Jesus. So let's go ahead and let's jump into verse 4. Here we go. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers. So Paul is praying. Let's not assume too much. What is prayer? Well, prayer is meaningful communication with God. So think about it like this. It's like Calling or receiving a call from someone who loves you unconditionally. Do you have those people who when they call you, you don't want to answer? And you're just like, oh, this person again. Or are they text you and you're just like, I'll, I'll I can wait a, a few days. It's just like, I'm not going to talk about who the bad textures in the room are. And it's like, that's just the way that it goes. But uh, you just like, don't get back to them. But then there's those people who when they call, you're on it. Like, I, I am about this conversation right here. This is going to give me hope. This is going to give me hope help. But here's how we pray. Okay? There is this divine mystery that we at Coastway Church absolutely affirm and it's called the Trinity. God, three in one. Father, Spirit, Son. And within the workings of the Trinity, we see that we pray to a loving Father by the power of the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus and this is the posture and the attitude of our prayer and what we see is we see that the inner workings of the Trinity are actively involved in our prayers and like many good things here's why we're talking about this because prayer is the fruit of faith if you want to see a a glaring giveaway that we are not depending on God that we are not walking in active confidence in God uh, look at the frequency of our prayers because at some point or another we are shifting the way away from God's care and God's control onto our own, whenever we're walking through this place of prayerlessness. And here, what do we see with Paul? Paul is thanking God, which is what Christians call praise. So to give God praise is to thank him, two things, for this is a great way to think about praise, because prayers can certainly be more than praise, but they should never be less than praise. So when we praise God, we thank him for who he is, God, you are mighty. God, you are sovereign. God, you are unchanging. God, you are loving who he is and then what he has done. God, you have shown me grace and, and you, have, you have dealt with the roots of my sin in a way that I don't, I don't deserve. God, you have shown me mercy. God, you have provided for me. God, you have put people in my life. You've given me a job, you've given me a family, you've given me a church, whatever the case may be. We say, God, thank you for what you have done. But this is something that we actually do quite naturally. Uh, Whenever an athlete makes a great play, and it's like our team, we're like, yes, that's incredible, and the, the crowd gives praise. Whenever maybe your spouse or you or or a chef makes a delicious meal, we're like, that's good. Uh, Can we run that back one more time? Or maybe when an artist creates something like a work of art or this this magnificent painting, we we, we, we give praise to the author, to the athlete, to the chef. And this is how we relate to God. Psalm 104 says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with what? Praise, give thanks to him, bless his name. And so here's Paul. Paul's in prison and he is praising God. What about you? Where are you at right now? What is your shade of sorrow or a particular struggle that you're walking through? We ought to be encouraged and derive strength from a man who had no really great human reason to give God praise, but here he is, that's what he's doing. He's praising God from prison for his friends. And for us, a major purpose of prayer is praising God for the people who he puts in our lives, especially those who help us follow him, who bring us closer to him. Notice that's who Paul is thanking God for. It's Philemon. It's Athea, his spouse. Philemon's spouse. It's Archippus, someone who was a dear friend who knew Paul and Timothy. Well, so... Uh, Let me just ask you this. Have you ever said to someone, I am praying for you? You ever said that before? Or maybe somebody has said that to you. Okay, let's get really real. Sometimes that's Christianese for I don't know what else to say. Or that's Christianese for can we just end this conversation right now? Because it just got really awkward. And again, I don't know what to say. But let me ask you this in all seriousness. Who had a better week because you, like Paul, remembered them in prayer? How much renewal would there be if God moved in response to every prayer that you prayed last week? I just wrote down a few things. Whose kids had a better experience with back to school because you prayed for them? What local churches were strengthened because you prayed for them? What teachers, nurses, first responders were given stamina in a very stressful time because you prayed for them? What Coastal Carolina University students persevered through their first week because you prayed for them? Who in Haiti, after this devastating earthquake, or in Afghanistan, the terror that's being experienced, was converted or comforted? Because you prayed for them. Who was discouraged but is now encouraged? Who was sick and is now recovering? Who shared, heard, or embraced the gospel? Because you were praying for them. And you remembered them in your prayers. Oh, how much good is left undone because we fail to ask. Thou art coming before a king, large requests with thee bring. For one whose grace and power is such, one could never ask too much. In the words of the hymn writer John Newton, God has so much more for us than vague, selfish prayers that never seem to move past the ceiling. Have you been there? I have. I've had those moments when it felt like there was just nobody on the other end. My prayers felt dry. There wasn't a whole lot of enthusiasm or excitement behind it. But here's what I've noticed, is that sometimes if I'm not careful and if I don't have like a, a, just a biblical view of how to pray, my prayers become really selfish. And it feels like a text message to me, about me, and from me. Have you ever sent yourself a text message? You don't need to acknowledge that if you have. I, sometimes I do that just so like, I'm, like, I'm going to forget this if I don't text myself. I, so I text myself. Okay, so confession session. There we go. I want to show you guys how to pray gospel-centered prayers really quickly. This is a tool that has really carried me into the presence of God and helped me encounter Him through prayer. And it's actually an acrostic that I use each day when I approach God. So P stands for praise. Here it is. It's God, who, who you are, and what you are doing in my life. And then R stands for return. So what we recognize with praise is that God cares. What we recognize with returning is that God cleanses. Uh, here's what religion says. Religion says, I messed up. My dad is going to kill me. But a relationship with the father says, I messed up. I need to talk to my father. And this changes everything because the gospel is not about what you do for God. It's about what God did for you on the cross and Calvary still when he gave everything. So that we could be brought back, so we could return to him. So, when we return to him, what we're doing is, is we're not trying to put makeup on, we're not trying to airbrush our capabilities or our competencies. We are coming before a king who cleanses, who wants you, who seeks you, who bought you. So, praise, return. And then A stands for ask. But we have not because we ask not. Yeah, we we must we want to be a church because goes Church, we want to be a church that prays bold, big, brave prayers, and we ask God as if He cares and as if He controls. But then, why? And this has helped me so much. stands for yield. How many times do I get myself in high grass because I think that I can control better than God can, and I try to I, I try to intervene or I try to intercept what only God is capable of doing. And I lose sight of God, God controls. And so th- this would be a way that I, I have really benefited from praying. I wanted to go ahead and just give this to you. Hopefully, it is helpful and can give you a framework for praying prayers that really encounter the presence of God. But here's a question that I want to ask you Paul is thankful for Philemon. Who are you thankful for? Paul writes a letter. Okay, by the way, you know, we don't really write letters anymore. It's not really something that we do a whole lot more. I think we need to bring it back. That's a a timeless way of showing affection, I believe. Uh, But Paul writes a letter. That was the technology of this time. Would you send a text message? Would you pick up the phone? Would you call? Or would you actually have a conversation with someone who you are thankful for? And this is significant. I love what Paul does. Take a look at verse 5. He doesn't lob generic thanks and just say, oh, yeah, I'm grateful for you. Or, "Yeah, yeah, 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 I really appreciate you. He gets specific. The best form of praise is that which gets specific because it actually says, this is how you've added value to my life. Here's what he says. Because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for whom. All the, say it with me. All. One more time for everybody in the back. All the saints. This is so significant. We're going to spend some time on it. Paul is specifically thankful for Philemon's faith toward Christ and his love for all the saints. So, Philemon's faith toward Christ, what did it do? It led him to love people in the church who were not like him. And we struggle here. Because think about it there is so much discrimination, there's so much despair. And there is so much division that we counteract with on a daily basis. What we ought to be asking, and it happens in the church, and we're not immune to it. What we ought to be asking is, how did the Apostle Paul, how, how is it that he's writing to a man who has a love for all the saints? Here's how, here's how it happened. The love of God for Philemon produced a love, a love from God in Philemon. And it was a love that was from God, and it was a love that was directed toward others. You know, psychologists actually say that we're looking for three things. We're looking to feel clean, we're looking to feel safe, and we're looking to feel significant. On the other side of feeling clean, safe, and significant, we will feel loved by those who bring this form of renewal into our lives. So, any form of love meets us on the level of these fundamental needs. And I just want to declare this. In Christ alone, you are clean. Jesus cleansed you by taking your corruption on the cross. What he did is he, he lived the life that you and I were supposed to live. And then he died the death that you and I deserve to die. And somehow that counted for you. That counted for me. And this is what we believe by faith. Is that we are cleansed in Christ. What can wash away my sin? What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. But I also want to say this in Christ alone, you are safe. And it's not because you're shielded from temporary suffering, but it's because you've been shielded from eternal suffering. On the cross, Jesus endured the horror of hell to bring you and I into the eternity of heaven. There could be no greater form of safety or security. I've heard it said before that for the Christian, the suffering that we experience in this life is nothing more than one a one-night stay in an inconvenient hotel. Because in the scope of eternity, that's what's really going on. Is we lose perspective and we think it's just here and it's just now. But there is forever that is awaiting what we do with Christ. In Christ alone you are safe. In Christ alone you are significant. Let it be known. How do you know the value of someone or something? Some would say this is a business principle. But I would say before it was a business principle, this was a God principle. How do you know the value of someone or something? How much another is willing to pay for them or for it. And on the cross, Jesus paid it all. What does this produce? See, Philemon believed this. Philemon was clean. He was safe. He was significant. And it all came from the cross of Christ. So what does this produce? Well, the love of God for you will produce the love of God through you. A lot of people are afraid of getting sick. But what if I were to tell you that more of us are afraid of getting well? Most people don't want near Christ because the closer that we, but the the closer we come to Christ, we have, we believe all these lies. God, you don't care. God, you don't control. That's why i stay away. And, and, and the devil has blinded us and led us to a place where we bought into the most treacherous and terrible lie that we ever could. And so we think that, oh, if I go near God, he's, he's going to want my treasure or he's going to ask for my time. Or he's going to come in close on my talent. Yes, he will. But is there anyone more worthy? Is there anyone who gave you more of their treasure? Is there anyone who gave you more of their talent? Is there anyone who gave you more of their time? No. And so the one who gave you the most is the one who you ought to be giving the most. And we recognize that the closer we come to Christ, it's not that I'm going to lose my freedom. It's not that I'm going to be uh, enslaved. It's not that God is a cosmic cop trying to pull me over when I'm having fun. The closer we come to Christ and his love, the healthier we become. So consider we, so talk. It says that he had a love for all the saints. Say it with me. All the saints. We know from last week that there was a church that gathered in Philemon's house. And I just want to tell you something and bust these myths that we have in the Western world, 21st century. The church that gathered in the first century, the first several centuries, historically, when the church has been being the church, was socially, ethnically, and generationally diverse bunch of people. There were slaves, servants. There were Greeks. There were Jews. There were men. There were women. There were wealthy. There were poor. There were red, yellow, black, and white, but all were precious in his sight. So I want to say this calmly, and I want to say this clearly. At Coastway Church, we renounce racism as an evil invention of man and glaring evidence of sin, which Jesus died to cleanse. So what does it mean to bring renewal? It means that we are opposed to that which brings ruin. And here's how we bring renewal. We engage with the other. We engage with those who are not like us. Maybe don't talk like us. Maybe don't think like us. Maybe don't vote like us. Maybe don't eat like us. We engage with them from this fundamental, the ground is level conviction. We are equal. I am not better than you. You're not better than me. I'm not better than you. What, is this, what does this lead us to do? Well, if I'm not walking around with this superiority complex, that means that I'm going to actually engage. That means that I'm going to listen before I lecture. That means that I'm gonna seek to understand before I seek to be understood. And we show equality, engagement, and empathy. You wanna know what God's response to racism is? Acts one You will receive power when the spirit of God has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and where? To the ends of the earth. We have. A global God with a global heart. And you see very early on in the book of Acts, whenever the apostles were filled with the Holy Spirit, they spoke the tongues of nations. Why would this be the first demonstration of the Spirit's power if God did not care for the ethnic minority or if God did not care about the nations? I also want to say this. At Coastway Church, we renounce generational elitism as stubborn pride. Which Jesus died to cleanse and Have you ever been to a church where everyone was over the age of 60? Why does this happen? Well, there's a lot of reasons why this happens. But I believe one of the largest reasons is because of generational elitism. At some point, preferences and property become more important than people and passing on the faith. Did you know that the New Testament does not have a category for a single unigenerational church? You won't find it anywhere in any place. And at Coastway Church, we're not looking to be a nightclub where, oh, that's where all the young people go. We're not looking to be a nursing home where that's like all the gray hairs go. We are looking to be a church where people come. A multi-generational church that desires to see every generational cohort bringing their gifts and graces to the church. Let's talk about kids for a moment. What do kids bring? Other than dirty diapers and maybe some, you know, whatever. Uh, They bring impressionability. Uh, 80% of those who will profess Christ will do so before the age of 18. There's a 20% chance that it's going to happen when you move beyond the age of 18. This means that we ought to be flooding Coastway kids with hope with help, with buying, with backing. But then there are students, young adults. What, what is it that you bring? You bring availability. Marriage is a wonderful thing. But there are particular liberties and freedoms that you have before you say, I do, that you're not gonna have at any other point in your life. You can go anywhere, you can pursue anything basically, and you can do it for the glory of Christ. It's a big reason why we're here, is because we believe that Coastal Carolina University is a home, a hub, and a sending headquarters for future church planters and missionaries. And we desire for that to be at the heart of our church. But then there's families, singles. What do you bring? You bring stability. You're working jobs, you're putting down roots, you're having babies, and it's a beautiful thing, and it gives stability to the church in a very unstable time. The aged, or the aging, okay, and the elderly, I'm not putting a, a number on this, okay. Um, but what I will say is that you bring credibility. You have weathered the experiences. You have walked through the headwinds of so many different things in life. And so you're going to bring worship. How do I worship God through that? You're going to bring wealth. You know, how, how do I actually be a good steward? And you're going to bring wisdom. And what is wisdom? Wisdom is how the world really works. And I know it. And so we need every grace and every gift from every generational cohort for maximum impact. And we believe that this is core to the identity of our church. We want to embrace the multi-ethnic, multi-generational people of God as family. It's what heaven will be like, and it's what the church must be like. I love this quote from Tim Keller. Faith that does not lead to love is meaningless and love that is not based on faith is powerless verse 6 paul goes on and i pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of christ so paul is not saying less than you think he is right here but he's probably saying more than you think he is right here whenever you hear the sharing of your faith you probably think about like preaching the gospel or evangelism, where you're on the other side of a conversation with someone who maybe doesn't believe what you believe and you're looking to win them to believe and, and, and show them how God has worked in your life through your belief. Well, a proclamation is what we would call this proclamation of the gospel. And certainly this is implicit in what Paul's saying, but it's not the full scope of what he's getting at. He's not just talking about proclamation when he says the sharing of your faith, by the way. I mean, he's talking about participation. And it's this word called koinonia. I'm going to ask you to say it back to me. Koinonia, on the count of three. One, two, three. Koinonia. Don't you feel smart? We learned some Greek. I know that's why you came tonight. 19 times in the New Testament, koinonia shows up. And what it means is to be an active participant in the mission of God. What is faith? It's active confidence that God cares and that He is in control. And so at Coastway Church, we believe this looks like becoming who God says we already are and living into the identity that He created us to enjoy and experience. Who, who, who's seen the Lion King before? You know that, that, that point in the Lion King, whatever Simba, like he's fled pride, rock, he's just like all oh, is lost, and then Mufasa like appears in the crowd, or in the clouds, and he's like, Simba, you've forgotten who you are. And the father looks down and he says, son, daughter, you've forgotten who you are. You are a worshiper. You are a family member. You are a servant. You are a steward. You are a witness. This is who I created you to be. And this is what it looks like to live a quantity of faith is to become who God says you are. Verse seven, last verse. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. So maybe you've said this. Maybe you've heard this. I love Jesus, but not the church. I don't need the church to have a meaningful relationship with God. And I want to look at this person graciously, but truthfully and say are you better than the Apostle Paul? Because if prison did not keep Paul from the church, then a pandemic shouldn't keep us from the church. Here's what happens. is Whenever tough times go on, or some, I mean, something like what's the events of the past year, we're going to emerge out of this spiritually like a monk, like a chunk, like a hunk, or like a drunk. Let me talk about all 4 You're going to come out like a monk So a spiritual monk is someone who says, I don't need other people. And I don't need any resistance in my life. I don't even need somebody to rejoice with me. I can go over here and I can watch my favorite celebrity pastor online from my couch, and I'm totally good. And I can read my my, my Bible study right over here, and I'm totally good. That would be a spiritual monk. And we would say that's spiritually unhealthy. Then there are people who are a spiritual chunk. Okay, a spiritual chunk is someone who's just constantly, give me that podcast. Give me that sermon. Give me that Bible study. You want me to serve in Coastway, kids? What's wrong with you? I'm over here studying the Bible. You want me to obey? Are you kidding me? Okay, this would be someone who's overstuffed. And it's just knowledge without practice, without words, without beat. And then there are those who are spiritually drunk. This is the person who is just confused. There could be a number of reasons why. Maybe you, your first experience with church was just very confusing. And you did not hear clear theology. You did not see a clear picture of mission. You did not see a clear practice of ministry and mercy. And so you're just really confused. And we believe that at Coastway Church, we, we hold to the historic Orthodox principles that have been passed down once and for all to uh, the, the the saints And I know there's a, there's a lot of Expressions of the church We desire to be a faithful expression of the church Theologically, philosophically And missionally And we would hope that after 90 days Of being under the teaching of Coastway Church Being in the groups of Coastway Church Being even connected or commissioned with Coastway Church That you would have a lot more clarity Maybe if you're spiritually drunk Then there's a spiritual hump Okay this is the person who whatever bad things happen They persevere They stay fit. They don't high sight on community or becoming who it is that God says that we are. Here's the irony. Paul is celebrating joy and comfort when he could be complaining about sorrow and suffering. Why? It's because of his koinonia faith. It's because he is an active participant in this conviction that God cares and that God is in control. So I just want you to consider this. If Paul had such good things to say about an example of faith, how much more could be said about the object of our faith? Let me explain. We should be really encouraged because the hope and the help that we receive from Jesus has less to do with the amount of our faith that we have and more about the object in which we place it. Whenever it was told Sarah that she was going to have a child with Abraham in her old age, she laughed. Whenever Peter was called to walk out on the water and meet Jesus there, he sank. Whenever Moses was called up by God to lead God's people out, he ran, he made excuses. Whenever Thomas was faced with the risen, reigning, and ruling Christ, he doubted. Here's here's why. It's it's not deadly and it's not fatal for us to have a low amount of faith. It's because it's not so much about the amount of faith, it's about the object of our faith. Verse 5 says that Philemon's faith was toward the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus means Savior, which means he cares. It is his Personal name that literally means to rescue you when you were perishing. And when you think about Jesus leaving the comforts of heaven and coming down to the slum and the sin and the sorrow of earth. What was he doing? He was believing on your behalf. He was coming and stepping into those moments of doubt and suspicion. And he was trusting the father in your place so that even when your faith was low and lacking, it would not be the end. And then on the crucifixion, what happened? He was being punished for our unbelief. And what he did is on the cross, Jesus weathered the storm so you and I could be hidden safely in the storm shelter of his cross. He was forsaken in his darkest hours so that you and I would never be forsaken in our darkest hours. And then Christ, what does this mean? This means that he is the king, which means he possesses all control. For God to be resurrected and to overcome and overrule the grave means that he is complete and total control. And if he can do that, what could he do in your life? I've heard the story of Alexander the Great having a general who his daughter was about to get married. And he approached Alexander the Great and asked Alexander the Great to pay for his daughter's wedding and it was an exorbitant amount of money. And so Alexander the Great basically says, go and talk to my treasurer, work out the details, should be fine. And so the treasurer talks to this general and comes back to Alexander the Great and says, nobody's ever asked for this much. Like, th- this, is, this is unbelievable. Uh, expecting Alexander the Great to come back and say, yeah, that's a little bit more than we bargained for, we need to tone that down a little bit. He actually says, give my general his request. And the treasurer is floored. He says, why? He says, because my general paid me two compliments in asking for this much. One, that I care enough to grant it. And two, that I control enough to give it. So this is what it means to be in the storm cellar with God. Is to have this unwavering conviction that God cares and that he is in control The cross is the glaring exclamation point that he cares, and the resurrection is the exclamation point that he controls. And so here's what I want to invite you to do. If you just bow your heads, I just want to lead us through a moment of response. I think this is what renewal looks like it would look like bringing before God your worries, your sins, that reason that you might be, be discouraged. And laying it at his feet with active confidence. God, you care about me. And God, you're in complete control. And so as we get ready to sing this song that goes like this. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can wash away my sin? You can trust him with your sin. You can trust him with your failure. You can trust him with anything that you've done wrong. And bringing it to him in faith, that can be cleansed. But not just this. There is no other fount that I know that's going to make me wise. So maybe you're looking for rescue from your struggles or your stresses. Maybe you're a believer, you've been a believer for a long time, and you're looking for rescue or renewal from a source other than the fount of the gospel in Jesus. How about relocating your hope? How about going to that place and saying, God, you are the fountain whereby I want to drink and derive refreshment and hope. Father, thank you for your blood, which was shed to cleanse us. And because of the cross, we know that you care. Father, personalize that for someone here today. Personalize that for all of us. And furthermore, God, we know that because you overcame and overruled death, you're in control. And Lord, because of that, let us measure your care by the cross and your control by the resurrection. This we believe in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, let's stand and let's sing together.